you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 23. Matthew chapter 8 is uh, near the start of the New Testament. So if you're new to Scripture, uh, it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible, the book of Matthew, a firsthand account of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the first century. We'll be picking up in chapter 8, verse 23. Uh, If you were here last Sunday, you know that we talked about lament, uh, which is the art of articulating grief and loss before God and others. And if you missed last Sunday, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because it really clears the ground uh, for what we want to talk about this Sunday, which is becoming a non-anxious presence. Uh, How do we exist as a people of peace, as a people of love, as a non-anxious presence in a world of chaos? Well, step one is what we talked about last week. It is learning the art of lament, of naming the loss, the grief, the discord within us, articulating our grief and loss before God and others is actually the beginning of of the path toward healing. If we are growing in that practice over time, then it actually clears the ground for us to become a people of peace. If we are running from our negative emotions, denying, repressing, distracting, self-medicating, more Netflix, more isolation, more beer, more TV, more video games, more online shopping, If we distract and self-medicate, we actually become less mature and more anxious, more fearful people over time. Uh, And we end up as anxious as anyone else in the culture. Uh, But if we process our loss, our grief, our sources of anxiety before God and others, then we're on the path to becoming people of peace. We open the door, we clear the ground to become a non-anxious presence, uh, which is what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, Picking up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it says this, Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would come now and be uh, our helper, uh, our challenger, our comforter, the one who fills us, who shapes us, that um, we would sense you, Jesus, living in us, operating through us, and that we would look increasingly like you over time. As we gather this morning, we gather as a small band of, of disciples Uh, in the midst of another raging sea. And we uh, need you, we cry out to you in the same way that they did. 
Lord, would you save us? Would you heal us? Would you root us in an alternative reality? In Jesus' name, amen. The goal of our lives is to become like Jesus, to become a people of love, to become, in some sense, a non-anxious presence in a world gone mad. And we see this in the life of Jesus. He lived in a world that was hotly divided between Jew and Gentile, between Rome and Israel, between oppressor and oppressed, between Sadducees, Pharisees, and Zealots. It's hard to imagine a, a more politically divided culture than the one in which he lived. And hence, he had waves of people from every angle coming to question him and oppose him. He was labeled and slandered by all sides. He's persecuted and mocked. They tried to discredit him. Multiple death threats and attempts on his life. And yet, in the midst of it all, Jesus is marked by peace. He's marked by joy. He isn't shaped by that tension. He doesn't cave to political compromise on the right or on the left. He exists as a transformative, non-anxious presence in a world gone mad. You never see Jesus stressed out. You never see him anxious. He, he's always grounded in the goodness and presence of God. And as a result, he actually transforms the environment around him. The people of his hometown are at one point worked up into a furious mob. Uh, it's hard to imagine the fear, the hatred in their eyes as they grab Jesus and they march him to a cliff to throw him off. And it says that he walked right through the crowd and went home. Do you ever try to picture that? What peace, what groundedness he had in those moments. It, it changed the atmosphere. It changed the environment. He walks right through the crowd and he goes on his way. And we see this everywhere. In the boat with the disciples, in the verses that we just read, sleeping in the midst of a storm. Or the second storm that's recorded later in the book of Matthew, in which Jesus is walking on water, enthroned in peace and stability over the chaos of the dark and dangerous waves. We see it when Jesus stands a trial before Pilate, answering his questions with such grounded peace that Pilate is stunned. And this Roman governor actually begins to advocate for his release. From start to finish, Jesus is a non-anxious presence, uh, grounded in the love of God, grounded in the truth. 
and he transforms the environment around him. He changes the atmosphere and he calls us to do the same. And once again, thousands of years later, we find ourselves in a world gone mad. Though the Western world is progressing scientifically in terms of wealth, technology, and medicine, spiritually and emotionally speaking, we are actually regressing, going backwards, and the signs are everywhere. Anxiety and fear are running rampant in our society. And though we've designed a grand experiment in the pursuit of happiness, Americans are anything but. Statistically speaking, happiness peaked in the 1950s and 60s, which ironically is when we were also at our most Christian state in all of American history. And both Christianity and happiness have been in steady decline ever since. As happiness and satisfaction have declined over the last 60 years, anxiety has risen to take its place. Uh, People were talking in the 90s about the anxiety pandemic that was overtaking America, but it has marched on relentlessly. And in fact, it has only accelerated at an almost exponential rate in the last two decades. Rewind the clock one year before any of us had heard the phrase COVID-19 and America was already in a state of terrible anxiety. Anxiety across the board was skyrocketing with 40% of Americans reporting that they were more anxious in 2019 than they were the year before. Which means not only is a greater percentage of the population identifying with anxiety year over year, but those who are anxious are actually becoming more anxious year over year, particularly among the younger generations. Then enters COVID-19, which has caused a massive spike in mental health symptoms across the board, all ages, all generations, but especially among young people. Uh, Rates of anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation have doubled or even tripled since COVID hit, with 75% of young people reporting at least one of those symptoms. On top of that, you already had a bunch of cultural factors that were converging or conspiring against us. The use of social media, which is now almost universal among young people, has been shown to cause anxiety and depression. The more you use it, the more anxious you become. The news, which thrives off of outrage and anger. The rise of political religions in America, which now consistently operate in fear and blame shifting. And you start putting all of these factors together, the direction that Western culture was headed, social media use, outrage news, political religions, COVID-19, and what you get is a culture of anxiety, which of course is also a culture of outrage and anger. Those things are born out of anxiety. We now live in a culture that thrives off of fear. 
where uh, what's true and what's false is increasingly difficult to discern. A world of fake news on the right and the left. A, a world in which Russia pays millions of dollars to advertise on your Facebook page with things that are intentionally designed to stoke your fear, anger, division, aggression, just to watch us burn. A world in which the politicians who play nice get eaten alive by those who play dirty. It is now the only way to play the game. We live in a world in which blame shifting and criticism is the norm, uh, where no one wants to, to stand up and take any blame or any responsibility, where uh, no one wants to do the hard work or have hard conversations because we're either too lazy or too fearful. A world in which we've been trained to blame others and to spew out anger and hatred online. And all of this in an increasingly secular context in which God has left the national consciousness and we believe on some level that we don't have any real purpose and that our survival is on our shoulders. To make matters worse, whether we like it or not, human beings are highly social, even herd-like creatures. And I know how offensive that sounds to our modern ideas about what a human being is. But in reality, we tend to follow the crowd and take on the mentality of the herd. And the herd mentality in this moment is anxiety or what one cultural commentator called ambient anxiety. It's just in the air. It's the backdrop, the context for everything that we say and think and do. It is a contagion let loose in our culture. And out of that comes depression, anger, angst, outrage culture. It's just the air that we breathe. And yet, it's in this time, place, and culture that Jesus is calling us to be a non-anxious presence. A people who are calm, compassionate, grounded, stable, rooted in the presence of God. A people who exist apart from the rage and anxiety around us. A people who recognize that your anxiety, your angst, your hatred, your fear are not mine. I do not have to adopt that. I do not have to take that on. In short, he is calling us to be a people of peace in a world gone mad. And the question is, how? Uh, how do we do that? Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel just as anxious as anyone else in the culture. How on earth do I move toward becoming a non-anxious presence? Well, it starts 
by naming the sources of our anxiety, naming the sources of our loss, of our grief. This is what we talked about last week. In fact, in the verses that we read this morning, Jesus says to his disciples, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? That's a great question. A probing question, a question worth answering. Why are you so afraid? We start by wrestling with that question, by voicing our answer, by putting words to it. Why am I so fearful? What exactly are my fears and anxiety? Why am I carrying this ambient anxiety from the culture? Where did this come from? What's it rooted in? And as we begin to lament, as we begin to articulate what's inside and make it external, we actually begin to identify things. It tells us something. It reveals to us what we actually believe about the world, what we actually believe about God, his presence, his promises. In many cases, this, this lament of sharing our fears and anxieties with God and with others leads to this release to identifying our underlying issues. There's, there's power in that. That's the first storm story that we read this morning. Jesus challenged his disciples with that question. Why are you so afraid? Did you believe your fears instead of me? But I think the second storm story from the book of Matthew is just as profound. For those who know the story, you'll remember that the disciples are caught in a storm again this time without Jesus, who was off praying on a mountaintop. The disciples are exhausted, they're fearful, they've been struggling through the night, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And you can imagine the scene, the pre-dawn darkness, these chaotic waves crashing into the boat, confusion and chaos, and there's Jesus on the water, the ultimate non-anxious presence. And Peter's response is just stunning. He says, Lord, if it's you, then let me come to you on the waves. I, I want to be where you are. I want to do what you are doing. And he, and he becomes the only disciple that I'm aware of in all of history to walk on water in this way. But what happens, if you know the story, is that he's walking toward Jesus in the midst of this storm and he shifts his focus. I think he's most of the way there, but he shifts his focus. He begins to stare down at the dark rolling waves beneath him. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and instead looks at the waves. And as he does, his heart moves from one of faith to one of fear. And as he becomes afraid, as fear and anxiety enter, he then begins to sink. Uh, we think that we're sinking, and that's why we're fearful. I think Jesus would challenge us in that. I think often we are fearful, and that's why we're sinking. 
We're going down in flames, not because the waves got any bigger, but because we shifted our focus from Jesus being rooted in his empowering presence to then staring down at the waves, to staring at the darkness, to letting our anxieties run wild. What if? What if this swallows me up? What if I sink? What if I drown? What if I die? And then comes fear. And then we begin to sink. I think that's what humanity, or at the very least America, is doing right now. Where is our focus? Well, by the numbers, it's on social media, which causes anxiety on a good day. Let alone when everyone is posting angry things and verbally attacking each other. And Russia is sitting back throwing fuel on the fire just to watch us burn. Our focus is on social media. Our focus is on the news, which by the way, only stays in business by getting you to click things and read them. And the sad reality is that good news doesn't sell. It just doesn't. On the right and the left, even the most well-meaning, humble, people-centered, organic news outlets still have to meet the bottom line. And bad news sells. Clickbait wins the day. Outrage stokes the fires of profit. And news outlets are in slavery to the bottom line. The more outrage they get you, the more money they make. The machine feeds off of anxiety and fear. In a similar way, politics on the right and on the left are, are both in the habit now of demonizing one another. Stoke fear and anxiety, and your chances of winning the election go way up. Another sad reality. And there's a real sense in which these are our modern waves. Amplified digital waves of fear and anxiety being fed into our veins minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And the herd mentality takes over. Their stress becomes your stress. Their fear becomes your fear. And suddenly being a non-anxious presence feels like it's a million miles away. Why? Because you're staring down at the waves. You're filled with fear and you're sinking. In order to be a non-anxious presence, you need to shift your focus back to God and do what Jesus did. Three things if you're taking notes. First, we spend time in silence and solitude, growing in intimacy with the Father. Silence and solitude means no screens, no devices, no noise, no distractions. Every day we spend 
whatever it is, five minutes, 10 minutes at the start of your day, maybe an hour for some of you that can pull that off, whatever it is for you, we spend that time in the quiet place, in the intimate place before God, grounding ourselves in his presence. Second, we read scripture every day, a verse, a paragraph, a chapter, whatever it is, we read scripture every day, allowing the truth of God to mold us, to form us, to bring us back to reality. We allow the fog of fear and anxiety and manipulation to fade as we remember who God is and what he's promised. We're reminded that God is good and that God is with us. We're reminded not to worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. We come back to the truth and we hear the words of Jesus reminding us that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Third, if you're taking notes, we take our eyes off the waves. For me personally, I found that the best path was just to quit social media and to stop watching the news entirely. And I know there's like a collective gasp when, when you hear that. That sounds crazy, but it's made a tremendous difference in my quality of life in my intimacy with God, in my day-to-day living. And if you think that sounds impossible, then I challenge you with this. Start with 30 days. For 30 days, stay off the news and stay off social media. Just 30 days. Granted, you'll spend the first few days in withdrawals. But if you can do that, I I want you to observe what happens, what happens to your anxiety, what happens to your intimacy with God, what happens to your quality of life. You will see fear and anxiety slowly begin to fade as your intimacy with God begins to grow. You'll see a new horizon, a new way of life emerging, coming into view. And fourth, I know I said three, there's actually four. We lift our eyes and we see Jesus over the winds and the waves. We're reminded that God is good. We're reminded that God is with us. We hear the voice of our master, the creator of the universe, commanding us to not be afraid which is actually the most common command in all of scripture, cover to cover, do not be afraid. We allow Jesus over time to slowly shape us into a non-anxious presence of love, of people who are slowly losing their capacity to fear, of people who don't strive and scramble and manipulate 
in order to maintain the illusion of control, but a people who are rooted in something deeper, the empowering presence of God, whose sense of peace doesn't rise and fall with the stock market or the economy or infection rates or election results or any external circumstance, but who are rooted in something beyond circumstance, which is ironically how we become people of influence who begin to change the world. Friedman, a a famous psychologist who studied a systems theory and the way that families work and cultures work in a very similar way. He found that in working with highly dysfunctional families, the way to bring about change was to find the family member who could be coached into becoming a non-anxious presence. Doesn't matter who it is in the family, could be the youngest, least influential person in the family, but if one person could be coached into becoming a non-anxious presence, then over time, it would transform the family. What he found is that that person could be, could be coached and, and initially they would, they would experience pushback. They'd experience resistance. They would get poked. They would get tested. But if they persevered in being a non-anxious presence, that, then the odds of that family becoming healthy went way up. The entire family was transformed over time. Brothers and sisters, as we learn the art of lament, as we shift our focus from the endless, toxic, digital waves around us to Jesus of Nazareth, his goodness, his empowering presence, as we practice the way of Jesus in silence and solitude, in biblical community, prayer, fasting, being shaped by the truth of scripture, being rooted in a different reality. As we fix our eyes on God and come into greater intimacy with him, we become over time a non-anxious presence in a world gone mad. No longer rooted in fear and ambient anxiety and outrage, but rooted in Christ and his endless peace. And as we do that, we become agents of change. We can engage with this world as salt and light, as a transformative, non-anxious presence in a world gone mad. Let's pray. Jesus, we turn our eyes, our focus, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies toward the reality of your presence with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Your promises have not changed in thousands of years, your character has not changed in thousands of years. And thousands of years later, we find ourselves like Jesus 
in a in a culture that is hotly divided, uh, in, in a culture of political tension, of racial tension, of economic tension, a, a culture where our attention is often hijacked by hours of apps online that are actually shaping us, shaping our thinking, shaping our fear, shaping our anxiety, shaping our comparison, shaping our worldview uh, into something that's um, honestly just a long way from what you intended. And so we come to you this morning, uh, Jesus, in some sense as a uh, digitally frazzled people um, wanting to come home again, Uh, wanting to experience a peace that some of us maybe have never experienced before. Just the peace of God, the love of the Father, the security that we have in Christ, the empowering presence of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you walk among us? Would you convict where there needs to be conviction? Would you guide where we so desperately need guidance? But ultimately, Lord, would you touch? Would you heal? Would you transform? Would you set free? Would you unleash us to be a non-anxious, transformative presence in a world gone mad? Lord, we know that you can do more in a moment than we could do in a lifetime. But we also know that that we have a role to play in becoming a non-anxious presence. We want both. We want you to come, to touch, to stir, to heal, to set free. And we want to be a people who, who see this, who catch this, who desire this, who can look out on a world gone mad and say, your anxiety, your fear, your backbiting, your anger is not mine. I, I'm rooted in a different reality. And, and Lord, it's hard for us to believe that that will actually transform things. But reality shows that to be the case. We come to you now, Jesus. We lift our hearts up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>